was out back. I had to stay inside because I had to go to Okay. Cool. No worries. No problem. I'm just working on my second cup of coffee here. What's going on? <laughs> I'm working on my second cup as well. Um, yeah, why don't we just jump in and get started? Sure. Okay. Um, why don't you tell me how you got started in golf? Well, I, 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 uh, I was 12 years old, and uh, my mom and dad were, were members of La Jolla Country Club, and, uh, and you know, I just kind of I tagged around with them and, you know, pushed their, their little trolley around, you know, kind of swinging the club on the side like kids do all the time, and uh, next, you know, you know, they had little junior lessons and stuff, and I just, started swinging you know and i had a few of my little buddies who played and uh, we played a little bit and then a couple of years later paul runyon came to the club i think that was 1954 i believe i was you know i was 12 or 13 when paul showed up and uh, i don't remember exactly to tell you the truth i could figure it out if i looked in the history and found out when he came there but anyway he was a very inspirational guy and he ran these junior lessons on saturday morning and had all the kids out in the circle swinging the club and he was just an extremely enthusiastic, influential guy, and there were several other kids at the club who were good players, including Phil Rogers, and uh, and uh, so it just and, and of course everybody knew about this guy named Gene Littler, who who had just won the national amateur. So it was kind of a it was a nice golf environment, and just got interested that way. Well, that's that's cool. Um, so you, did your mentorship start with Paul Runyon at that time? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was. I'm, I'm 12, 13 years old, something like that. Yeah. I think Paul came in. I think Paul came in the in, in '54, so I would have been. It was probably right before my 13th birthday. Right before my 14th birthday, maybe. Okay. And then. Um, I was probably 13 when he showed up, something like that. Okay, so then you made a you made a lot of improvement between that time and. When you qualified for the 1960 U.S. Open, is that correct? Yeah, oh yeah. In fact, I made a lot of improvement. Even, I mean, like within a year, I can remember this was kind of this was kind of a the starting point of me thinking I was a player. A player. We had a, a real great junior golf program around Southern California in those days. And and when I turned 15, I was just I was 15. The summer I was 15. I graduate to that 15 in those days junior golf was 15 to 17 was the you know the so-called big kids and we had a tournament at a place here in town called the mission valley country club where they later they they were actually they were playing the san diego open there at the time and uh this was a junior tournament and, and you know all the kids from la came down and everything and i shot 139 as a 15 year old and wow. beat the 15 and 60 beat the 15, 16, and 17 years old from all over Southern California. And uh, I don't know, that, you know, that really kind of inspired me to try to get better. That was, that was you know, that was like my, my, that was probably the first, one of the first times I'd ever broken 70, and here I did it in a tournament. <laughs> and uh, and, and I, yeah, I shot 70 the day before, I shot 70, 69, I'll never forget it. Oh, that is so and, cool. And, and I beat all the kids, you know, and I, and I was, you know, and I was sort of off to the races then. And, you know, and obviously between then and now, I've had, a, you know, plenty of 85s and plenty of 65s <laughs> and, everything, and everything in between, you know. But that, that's how I kind of got started. And, of course, Mr. Runyon was a 
key to all that because he, he just uh, he was just so enthusiastic and encouraged everybody so much. It was fantastic. And of course, I was able to you know watch Littler practice and play. And Phil Rogers, a couple of years older than me, was already a young superstar, and, and you know and watched him play and played with him. And several of the other kids were, were also ex- excellent players. In fact, one of the kids is uh, was a, actually a year younger than me. My, my little buddy Frank Murhar, who is who is uh, who ended up winning the club championship at La Jolla Country Club like nineteen times. Oh wow. He, he, Frank, in fact, Frank's still around. In fact, he's my neighbor. So, uh, it, you know, we still laugh about when we were playing matches with, uh, with our dads when we were pre, pre-teenagers. <laughs> and then Billy Casper was kind of a hometown hero at that time, too, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was from an entirely different part of town. But yes, he absolutely was. And everybody, of course, was watching him. And there was stories in the paper all the time about Billy. So, you know, all, all of that. It was, it was a very golf war, and, and Mickey Wright was just coming along, and, and it was it just a very, very golf, uh, you know, we were kind of like little gym rats, you know, they were golf, golf, golf everywhere, and Mr. Runyon being who he was, every now and then somebody would, you know, like Lloyd Mangrum came over one, and Lloyd was living in Apple Valley at the time, and came down and played with Paul a couple of times, and uh Olin Dutris showed up and played with him, and you know, and uh, Johnny Bola came by, oh, and played, you know, stuff like that. And you know, you know, you, here, here we are as kind of starstruck kids. Well, these guys were all very famous back in those days. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, so we got a chance to uh, sort of see how it was done. And then, of course, you know, just Gene Littler turned pro there, and so did Casper and those guys. They start; they were winning immediately. So. It was in the local papers and all that stuff. So it was all this. It was a very exciting golf time. Yeah, what a great place and time to grow up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, and we're playing year-round golf, and uh, you can't beat it. Yeah. So how old were you in 1960 when you qualified for the U.S. Open? Nineteen. Nineteen. And where did that qualification take place? It took place at uh, uh, at Silverado. Up in, in the Bay Area, uh-huh. in Napa Valley. Yeah. Napa Valley, yeah. And uh, how'd you play there in Denver? I missed the cut. I think I missed it by a shot. I'm not sure. I, I suppose if I dug in hard enough, I could figure that out. I think I missed the cut by a stroke, but I'm, I'm not... I, you know, I can hardly remember. I was... I remember I was on... The, the thing that I remember about that, I was on the putting green a few days before the tournament started. and You know, I was just... A, I was just a te- college teenager, and and uh, and uh, I guess I just finished my first year in college. Is that, yeah, and and I and I had a t-shirt, and I was and I, and I had shorts on. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm on the putting green there. You know, it was it was probably like a Sunday that the pros there was hardly anybody around, and this guy walks up to me and introduced himself and. Uh, and he asked who I was and everything, and, and it turns out it was a guy named Jim Flood. You know who that is? God, the name sounds familiar. Well, he, he's the guy that started the Aldi La Golf Shaft deal. He, he, oh. Anyway, he was he was a young guy. He wasn't a whole lot older than me. Jim was probably only 24, 25. He was a stockbroker at the time, living in Denver. That's his hometown. Uh-huh. And, and he, he says, you know, you, he, he was a member of Cherry Hills. Very young guy. And, and he kind of going, well, you know, you... you you know, this T-shirt is probably not real appropriate. And he bought me a couple of Pickering <laughs> logoed Cherry Hills golf shirts. 
and, and, and I must have worn those things for two or three years after that. <laughs> I think they had the U.S. Lo- open logo on them or something. But a- anyway, the lapse dissolved. A few years later, I'm on the putt. This is after after I turned pro. And I'm on the putt. And here walks up Jim Flood. He was now a member at La Jolla Country Club. <laughs> But anyway, it was the same guy. So anyway, that was it. Was just one of those odd things that happens with the like, small world. Anyway, he moved to California and was with got the brokerage business. And then kind of an entrepreneurial guy. He was. You can Google him, Jim Flood. Okay. And it talks. You can find out a little bit. He'll talk about his involvement with Aldi Line. And he 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 invented a little a golf club called the Little David Slinger and, mm-hmm. and, and had the the power pod and he, he was a I remember uh, the power pod yeah, but, you know, that, was, that was Jim Flood's creation <laughs> too so after missing the cut did you hang around uh, during the weekend and watch that it was such, I did. such I a famous and I, watched, and I watched Hogan and Nicholas play on the I think I think they were still playing 36 holes on, on Saturday or on Sunday I yes they were the, yeah yeah and uh, I remember Jack hit the 11th green in two which was a five par hmm and nobody else could reach it. But those kids these days, probably this week, they're probably hitting eight irons. <laughs> you know, they're they're playing the same golf course this week for the amateur, as you know. Yeah, yeah, and they've and I've read something about how they're trying to uh, get as much length out of that course as they can. They just don't have the land. Yeah, I, I, I was watching a little bit. I was watching on the Golf Channel a little bit last night, and I you know I don't really remember very many of the holes, but I, I you know it's. For these kids these days, it's a tiny little golf course. You can tell. Yeah. Like seven, the seventeenth hole, I was watching last night, and uh, some guy hit a mid iron or a medium, medium, you know, like a seven or a six iron to the seventeenth hole on his second shot. Well, that's the <laughs> that's the hole, hole where Hogan pitched his third shot and sucked it back in the water into yeah. the little creek in the green. Yeah. It's a and, di- uh, different game today. Yeah. Oh, entirely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk talk well, about your time at uh, San Diego State. Did you get a scholarship to go there? Well, well, after a fashion. I mean, you know, they, they they give us a job and take care of a little bit of our expenses. And and I I, I lived at home the first two years, so you know, I mean, in the state university, the state college system. I mean, the the fees were practically, you know, it was practically free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, so I. I, I you know, they got us a job and a, and a meal ticket, and you know that's about all you needed when you're living at home. Yeah. And, and then I, and I lived over out near campus the last couple of years I was there, but uh, it, it's, 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 it, it wasn't like going to SC or, or Houston or, or uh, you know SMU or something like that. But it was just fine. We had a bunch of good players, mostly our local kids that were playing on the team we we won the northern cal intercollegiate one year the one that made up at Pasadena campus they still played at the same place yeah and uh that uh it, it, was, it was very low key you know i mean when we traveled we drove you know yeah <laughs> and when we finally when we went to the national national championship we'd obviously fly because it was we played at purdue and uh Broadmoor another year, and I think, and, and in Illinois, I guess the other year we played. Wow, the years, the so years you, that I played. So you went to the national championship tournament three years out of your four. Yeah. Well, that's Maybe cool. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the team went. We were good. 
Well, that's that's cool. How did you? We we won our you know our California Collegiate Athletic Association championship. We won the Southern Carolina Collegiate one year. We won the Northern Cal, which was pretty much everybody out this way that could play. So we won that once, and I uh, I, I kept finishing second or third at the uh, at the at Pasatiempo. A guy named John Lotz. I know right. John. I know John. I in, I've I've interviewed John. <laughs> well, that, you're thinking of his brother. Dick. Oh, Dick. I, yeah, I interviewed Dick. Sorry about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. His his older brother John died in tragically in a, in a whitewater accident. Right. Twenty five twenty five years ago. Right, and they were both uh, what we call Bateman boys. They studied under uh, Lucius exactly. Bateman. Lucius Bateman taught them both how to play. They, they, you could tell by watching them swine. And yeah, Lucius Bateman from from the East Bay area, from Oakland or somewhere he, over in there. Yeah, he was uh, he was from uh, Oakland and taught at the Hayward. Hayward uh, yeah, taught at a driving range and taught Tony Lima as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you mentioned Lucius in your book. That's right. Yeah. No. And yeah, we uh, we're making the book into a documentary film, and we've talked to quite a few of the Bateman boys. So right. he had a bunch of. I, I, yeah, he taught. Uh, 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 Don Witt, uh, uh, I'm trying some of this, uh, there's another guy with a short swing, I can't remember his name, anyway, he had a bunch of good players up there. We figured out that he had nine players that he put out on tour and had over 30 victories from those nine players, with the bulk of yeah, them, of I course. Yeah, I, I wouldn't doubt it. He would be a multimillionaire today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A, he had another guy by the name of John McMullen who was yeah, a good player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, how did you and Carl Welty meet and become friends? Carl, I played junior golf in that, 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 that very tournament that I was telling you about that I won. That's Carl, Carl and I were, he, Carl grew up right here in San Diego over in North Park, in, in the, right by San Diego State. He went to Hoover High School over near where he lived, and, and we were on the team at San Diego State. Oh, he was on that same team? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Uh now, I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you before, but when Carl was up here as an assistant to Tag Merritt at Meridian Valley, right. he took me under his wing and uh, kind of became my mentor. And uh -huh. um, I got to, you know, use that Polaroid camera that took the the action, the you know, the eight stills that together. Yeah. And then later, later the video with his uh, with his trove of, uh, of films from when he was out on tour caddying and that craig his son now has in fact i'm going to go yeah, up and craig, actually craig craig dug around in the in the library and uh, sent a few of those of, of that carl took way back and probably in the was before he came up your way i'm thinking it was probably in the late 60s still in la Jolla. oh yeah he worked for paul Runyon. he worked for paul Runyon for many years on the range there uh-huh and and he and he and he uh you know, he, he had he kept all his old videos from you know twenty, thirty, forty years ago. Anyway, Craig sent me a few of those videos a few months back. It was fun looking at them. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take Jim McLean up to uh, up to Burlington to see Craig next week and do a podcast oh, with oh, them. Good. Yeah. Oh, good. That's right. Carl worked with Jim for years, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I want to get Jim in that basement uh storage area where craig has all those videos and see what they could those two will talk about sure sure yeah, uh, why don't you talk about carl and his approach to the golf swing a little bit well I, you know i 
it was pretty simple. I, we we didn't we we were more hanging around, palling around, chasing girls and drinking beer, really. Than else. <laughs> I, I, he uh, he wasn't real ambitious about anything except golf, really. And uh, uh, we didn't we didn't we didn't talk golf swing theory at all. Mm-hmm. Truth. Okay. Not, not way back. And then and then once I went on the tour, I just. You know, once I once we were, I was through with school, I you know I hardly ever saw him anymore. I, he, he he worked for Paul for a few years after that, picking up balls, running the range, you know, helping in the golf shop, stuff like that a little bit. But uh, I would you know I was out of town all the time, so I didn't see him too much. Yeah, he caddied for me off and on the first year or two, a couple of times around Southern California. I couldn't even tell you which tournaments. I remember he did caddy for me down at the Desert Classic when the was like my third or fourth tournament which i almost won <laughs> and uh, i've still i've still got the uh clipping somewhere my mother got got rest, rest her soul has been dead a long time but she saved the clipping for me from the sunday morning los angeles times this was in the january or february of 19 1964 there was a there was a was said Courtney and a great big question mark leads hope. That was when it was that was when that was when it was a five day tournament. Well, I was the leader after four rounds. And, and, uh, and I, I think Tommy Jacobs finally finally beat me and, and a few other guys. So you went out on I tour. I, I remember that, that I, I played I played with him again several, but I, I was kind of starstruck because I, I get out there in the last on the, the round the fifth round as you know they played five rounds in uh-huh. those days. And, and, I, and I was playing with Jimmy Demerit, so that was kind of a oh, how, e- for how exciting! There I, there I was, the leader of the tournament, and shot seventy six. And the, <laughs> and I, I, I'm not, I played with Jimmy Demerit and Bob Charles, and I don't remember. So <laughs> that's great. That was, that was before that was before Charles was the Open champion, however. Uh huh. Um, during the early nineteen sixties, the travel on tour was a real car caravan situation. Uh, talk a little bit about what the travel was like back then. Well, it just, it just, uh, just jump in the car and week to week, almost, you know, everybody drove except for Arnold had a plane and, uh, and, and, and I guess it wasn't too long before Nicholas was flying everywhere, although I don't think he had his own plane until later. Yeah, we did, you just drove, everybody drove, even the, even the stars, you know. And of course, when you had to go cross country, uh, the guys like me, we just drive our car cross country. The, the big guys would get on the commercial airline and fly. Like I remember after the, I remember my first year, we got the after that so-called West Coast swing we were going to play in. I forget Lafayette or New Orleans or maybe Tampa. I can't remember. Yeah, you know, or, or I, I don't remember, but I, I remember. I would I I stopped down in Borrego to visit Tag when he was working at Borrego Springs, and just just for the afternoon I got in the car and I drove and drove and drove and I remember I got stuck in a snowstorm in Van Horn Texas, <laughs> and, and and ended up sleeping in the laundry room at the Holiday Inn because they because everybody got pushed off the road. But just it was actually Van Horn is just a few miles from where Hogan had his terrible accident. Yeah. So, uh, who were your best friends on tour? Pardon me? Who were your best friends on tour, and who did you travel with? Well, I, 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 uh, Frank Beard the first year or two. 
and Frank got married. And then the guy, the guy traveled, the Bob McAllister was a buddy of mine. And, uh, oh, let me think who else. So that must, if you, if you traveled with, if you traveled with, Fred Marty was a buddy of mine, we traveled together some. Okay, and if you traveled with, uh, McAllister, then you probably traveled a little bit with Al Guyberger too, huh? No, not much with Al. Al was kind of a, a cut above everybody else for some reason. Okay. But, and Al was, uh, Al was just a real quiet, he, he, he and Bob were on the same teammate, buddy, you know, at SC and everything, but they were, they were two different personalities, what can I tell you? Yeah, because McAll- McAllister was a pretty hot pistol. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we call him Motor Mile. <laughs> Bob was my buddy because he, 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 he taught me how to fish, and, you know, we, we did a lot of fishing here and there. We had some friends in Arkansas. We'd go visit every year and fish around or around Memphis and stuff like that. We'd, but Bob was just a real easy guy to be around for me. Yeah. I, tra- I, I traveled, believe it or not, some years later, I traveled with Art Wall. Oh, really? Yeah. Art, Art, again, was an entirely different personality, but, again, real easy to be around. Yeah. Now, uh, you mentioned Tag. That's Tag Merritt that you stopped and visited at Bregel? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he was, because after he left Paul's running, he went. He was a head pro down at the, at the De Anza Desert Country Club in Bregel Springs. Yeah, because he came, he was the first head pro at Meridian Valley when, uh, when it opened up, which is where I grew yeah, I up. Think, I, think, I think he, he must have, I, I think he came there from Brago. Yeah, I think so too. He's such a uh, such a great guy. I would say sixty nine. Yeah, that's, not, that's probably about right. He was in Brago a few years. Well, he was there. He was in Brago in sixty four because I, I remember I stopped by to see him. Yeah, what what a great guy Tag was. Oh, phenomenal, phenomenal. Just guy. a prince. So uh, you won twice on tour, the 1964 St. Paul Open and the 1969 Tallahassee Open. What do you recall about either of those two wins? Uh, yeah, you know, Larry, I, St. Paul, I was, I was staying, I, staying with some friends of ours there all the way over in St. Louis Park. I remember it was about an hour's drive to get over there every day. Uh, uh, I remember that. I, I'm not, maybe I told you this before, but I, I got I had a big lead playing the 18th hole, and I hit my ball. It was, it's a little short par five, and I hit it. I was right up on the front edge of the green in two, and uh, and I, I hit kind of a weak little chip pitch up there, about 15 feet short of the hole. And I had to mark my ball for whoever I was playing with. I don't remember who I was playing with. I, may, I might have been. I think I was playing with Frank Beard actually. And uh, I had to move my marker over because of, so so my ball mark wasn't in somebody's line. And I, I'm, I'm like I've got you know I got two or three putts to win from ten or fifteen feet, and, and I was kind of I was kind of nervous, and you know it was obvious that I was going to win. There, there was a scoreboard right behind the green there, and it showed that you know nobody could, nobody was going to catch me, and I. Uh, I forgot to move my marker back. <laughs> and and my friend Joe Carr, the guy from Massachusetts, was sitting up in the, uh, up in the, a bunch of the rookies were sitting around kind of pulling for me because, you know, they wanted to see some young guy win. And then Joe, you got to move your marker back. <laughs> yes, anyway, I, I would I would have put it out and forgot to move my marker if he hadn't yelled at me. But, uh, <laughs> I always 
thank Joe for that. How about in Tallahassee? You remember anything from there? I don't remember much about that. I, I remember that I played with Tommy Aaron the last round. And I remember I got in a playoff with an Australian guy by the name of Bob Shaw. And I won on the first extra hole. But, I, you know, I don't. I remember it was very, very windy. I remember it was very, very windy in St. Paul, too. I won both times with a fairly high score compared with what had been shot around those golf courses before and after. It was it was just super windy. I mean, it was blowing in a real steady 20, 25. Wow. And it blew everybody off, and I just kind of scruffed it around both times, actually. <laughs> So you were uh, you were one and one in playoffs since um, you lost a playoff in '72 in the Southern Open to Dewitt De- Weaver. Yeah, I, I did. I did. What do you remember about that? I I, re- <laughs> I remember that I had last hole's a five par and I had it I had it laid it up there for the seventy second hole. And I remember I, I, I the flag was stuck. I didn't realize that I had that if I could have made a five, I was going to win. And I and I, I shot at this flag and I got I got the ball stuck in the Bermuda grass about 15 feet right right next to the hole but just off the edge of the green I had to I felt like I had to take it you know try to get it close and make a four my third shot I'm talking about uh-huh. and I got it in an impossible situation on this five, on this fairly easy five bar near the green and I ended up making a six and ended up in a tie. And then, and then and then I remember on the on the very first hole I I ended up with a long putt for a birdie. And Dwayne Weaver was the guy that beat me, and, and and I remember that I got it on the green and two on the first hole of playoff hole. I was 20, 20, 30 feet, forty feet away, something like that. And and Dwayne hit it. I think it was a seven iron. I'm not sure. It hit cold stone stiff about a foot from the hole and beat me on the first extra hole uh. with a birdie. So that was the, that was the end of me. <laughs> what year did you retire from playing the tour? I, I quit the end of seventy in the fall of seventy six. Wow, that was a nice long, uh, nice long stretch you had out there. Yeah, yeah, I was, you know, just just kind of an inconsistent journeyman. I play well. In the last couple of years, I just was. It was, it was, it was the financial pressure was getting to me, and I, by then I had three kids, and it, it was just too much. And, I, I, and my back started to bother me. It was probably just the, the tension. Yeah. And, and you know, I, and I was playing terrible, and I was out of money. And uh, you know, <laughs> in retrospect, I, you know, I wish I sometimes wish I'd have kind of kept at it. But, but life's been good to me. Can't complain. So uh, after you retired, uh, you got a, a head pro job at Palma Valley. Right. And I was there for three, three years. Three years at Palma Valley. That's a Robert Trent Jones course, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a wonderful, lovely place. Still is. In those days, it was very, very rural and out in the country, but several Indian reservations and and, and a lot of big avocado, orange, lemon branches, and a few and some cattle, and but. And the, the valley has ended up with like three casinos. <laughs> and the character of the place has changed. Although the club itself is still nice, it's gated. And it's a very lovely place. It's a, it's a lovely 
And you had you had a busy uh, teaching schedule as a head pro there, correct? Yeah, I, I taught I taught a lot there. Yeah, I did all the time. And, and it's just it's just you know just members and you know a few friends from Ohio and stuff like that. And then after three years, you moved over to Rancho Santa Fe. Oh, and then I, then I was at, and I finally. I, I had some friends that were, were members at the club that were in business there, and, and I went into business with one of the guys. In fact, it was one of the guys that I worked for when I was in college, and, and we we got in the car wash business for a few years, and uh, I did real well at that. And, uh, you know, I got divorced, and I, I don't know. I, kinda, I, I, I still wanted to be in the golf business, and this opportunity at the, in 1984, 83 or 84, I can't remember. Doesn't matter, but anyways, uh, came up at branches at the at the Crunch of Santa Fe, and I applied for that and worked on that for a while, and I, they hired me, and I, I'm still there. I'm professional emeritus now, and I'm still hanging around Rancho. In fact, I'm going to go play over there this afternoon with some friends. Oh, cool! And you and you uh, you did a, a kept a busy schedule of teaching, giving lessons there as well. Yeah, actually, not quite as much as at Palma Valley. I, in, in, in Rancho, I own the golf shops. And that's a that's a big, uh, a, a, you know, a big responsibility. You know, you know, several hundred thousand dollars worth of merchandise, even in those days, and a very active membership. So it's kind of a, a taught a little bit businessman merchant rag merchant, right? Uh -huh. Sweater folder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I didn't play hardly at all. I, I, when I was in Rancho, I, I, I probably didn't two or four times a year for, you know, 20 years. Well, talk about your approach to teaching. Well, I'm, I'm very I'm simple. I used to be a little bit more mechanical oriented, but I've kind of got enthralled with, with a guy named Ernest Jones last six or seven years and he wrote a book called swing the club head you might have heard uh-huh but it's 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 a, it's a very simple non-complicated uh it, it's 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 paul Runyon all over again to tell you the truth and and it, which I, I wish i would have stuck with that i probably wouldn't be here talking to you I'd be <laughs> flying around in g5 or something <laughs> Yeah, you're you're right. It's a it's a difficult concept to get your mind around, uh, especially if 
you're playing poorly because then you're you're like trying you're trying to find that yeah. swing key that'll get you out of it. Exactly. Yeah, and the, the swing key is don't care so much. Yeah. I I, always, I, always, I, I love the line that Billy Casper used to use years and years ago. It says you have to play golf like you care, but you don't. Yeah. And it's funny, I was watching the Golf Channel just last night, and who was it? They were interviewing some well-known player. God, who was it? Anyway, it was after my wife went to bed, and I was just sitting, I was, I was trying to catch up on the USAM, because one of my, one of my buddies in the... Uh, La Jolla here qualified. He didn't. He didn't make the top sixty-four. But I was just kind of checking on the end. A- anyway, the the point is, golf. The harder you try, the harder it is. If you don't try so hard, it's easier. Boy, isn't that the truth? And he said, that unlike any other sport. Yeah. The harder you try, and the harder you work, and the more tense and more muscular, and you get in a lot of other sports, the better off you are. Golf's just the opposite. If you don't, if you don't try so hard, if you just relax and just swing, it works better. Yeah. So that, that's, you know, I, I don't have a teaching philosophy anymore except stand up there and I, I, I forgot all about, you know, you got to, you know, you got to put the club in a certain spot and you got to get it here and you, you got to look good. But most of all, you just need to actually swing and, like kids on a on a swing set on the playground, and it's a very very hard thing to do. But when you do, almost any swing will work. Yeah. Well, Mr. Uh, Runyon became friends with Bobby Jones, especially after he signed with Spalding. Did Mr. Right. Did Mr. Runyon ever pass on anything that he learned from Jones? And do you feel like you have a lineage? He always, he always said that Bobby Jones had about three gears with his with his long game. Or he just he could just pooch it along there, and then he just he just he just extend that swing and make it a little more flowing. And, a little, and he said he could, you know, like like he, you know, he had he had a two hundred and twenty yard drive, and he had a two hundred fifty yard drive, and he had a two hundred seventy yard drive, which in those days was really something. Yeah. And he, he just he 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 just had a, all the things that I'm talking about is the way Jones played golf, mm-hmm. and you, you can see it in his old videos. You know, I mean, from a, from a technical standpoint, you know, I mean, he he, he he takes it way off on the inside, goes over the top, coming down. It doesn't make any difference. It flows, right? And it, and consequently, it repeats. And uh, and uh, I mean, you know, you, it, it, he's like you can see it's like a ballerina when he's swinging the glove. John Daly looks the same way, only he doesn't go over the top so much. Yeah. These guys are—they're—they're they're graceful, athletic. They're—they're—it's they're, not mechanical, right? I mean, if you take a look at a video that they made of John, of John Daly, it could have been as recently as you know, just anytime. He—he looks just like he did when he was a 170-pound kid when he won the PGA Championship. It's just magnificent to watch. Yeah, he, he literally looks like a great big fat Santa Claus ballerina <laughs> with a golf club. <laughs> it's really amazing. You ever notice his balance is just exquisite? Yeah, he could play barefoot like Sam Snead did. Exactly. I mean, he just looks. He, John Daly. He's. He's. I gotta think he's a, the greatest golfing genius of all time. If he wasn't such a bonehead, no telling what he could. <laughs> 
Well, you talk about uh, Jones having three gears for driving. Uh, Nicholas was a little that way too, wasn't he? Yeah, a little bit, absolutely. Boy, when he when he when he needed it, needed it, he, he was incredibly long. Yeah. Well, as I told you before, um, when we had our last phone conversation, I was extremely fortunate to have received a chipping lesson from Mr. Runyon when Carl took me up to Sahali, where he was the head pro. Uh, walk us through that technique that Paul used and taught. Well, you, 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 uh, it's basically a, 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 a shoulder and shoulder swinging motion with your hands, <laughs> both hands supinated on the shaft so the face of the club doesn't open and close very much unlike a regular golf swing and and you just have the ball a little bit back in your stance and try to keep the shaft and your forearms in the same plane pretty much and uh the ball back and you, you, you give it kind of a little descending blow generally speaking especially if it's not a very good lot it's not that's not an absolute prerequisite but generally so you're you're, you're tilting to your left with the ball back so your head's probably a little in front of the ball and you just make this uh, wristless uh, swing. I, I do better when I think more about just shoulders. So you, you, you don't. It's not handsy. Let's put it that way. That's chipping. Now pitching. That's a whole other story. What would you say the difference from the length off of the green uh, would be for the difference between chipping and pitching? Depends on where the flag. Depends on how close the flag is to the edge of the green. And it, 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 it's, it's just like when you go to your doctor or your lawyer. The answer, the answer really is, Larry. There is no answer to that. It depends. Yeah. What, what kind of what kind of a lie does it have? What's the texture of the green? How much room is there between where you want to land the ball and the, and the uh, flag stick? Is it uphill? Is it downhill? There, there, there's no. You know, there's, there's there's no set answer to that. The only answer you can make is whenever you can chip versus pitch, you probably ought to chip, and you can and you can chip with an L wedge or you can chip with a six iron or anything in between. And again, it all depends. Uh huh. And so that it probably correlates to the. It isn't like oh, I always use an eight iron to chip with, or a nine iron, or a wedge, or a six iron. It isn't. You use anything. It depends. Yeah. Um. There isn't any answer to that. I, 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 to answer that, you got to be one on one with a person, and it's, unless the person is a super sophisticated golfer, right, with it right there on the edge of the putting green, with a, with a bag of balls and a whole set of clubs to show them how you use exactly the same technique in a whole lot of different situations with a whole lot of different golf clubs. Mm-hmm. Depending on whether it's the six iron or whether it's the, the most lofty club in your bag. So you said a little earlier. You said a little earlier that you're going out to play today. Uh, how often are you playing? I've been playing uh, once a week, maybe. Maybe sometimes twice a week. Uh, it's yeah. good. Good to get out there, huh? Oh yeah. And you know, I, I can. I can. Playing from the from the members' tees, I can I can usually shoot my eight or better usually. Well, that's cool. I've shot as low as seventy four, and you know, the next thing you know, I'll shoot eighty eight. But uh, you know. and so your age right now is? I'm going to be eighty three in, in in October. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, any final thoughts? Talk well, 
for me, it's just I've just been very, very fortunate. I've had some very serious health problems the last year and a half, which I seem to have shaken. I've had a couple of different cancers and pericarditis and uh, spent a lot of time in the hospital, but I've been feeling great. And I've, I, I lost a lot of weight a couple of times, but I've gained it back. And uh, feeling okay. I'm, I'm uh, like I tell everybody when I get out on that first day, I'm just happy to be here. Yeah. Well, it's all about, for me, it's all about the walking. I just, you know, I like, I get out there and walk and carry my bag. Well, you do a lot of walking recreationally, too, don't you? I do, yeah, yeah. I'm going on a big hiking trip with my girlfriend here, and uh, the end of September, we're going to Zion for a couple of days, then, then we're going to uh, to uh, to Bryce Canyon for a couple of days, then we're going to Park City, we're going to hike the, the uh, in Zion, we're going to hike the West Rim Trail, which is an 18, 17-mile hike. And then, then we're going to hike in the Bryce Canyon, Fairyland Canyon, and we're going to go hike the Wasatch Crest in Park City and several others. And then we're going to Mammoth for a week. Wow, that should be a blast. So it should be a blast. And it's, a, it's September, October in the mountains. If it doesn't snow, it's just cosmically beautiful. I'll bet. So even, even if it's even if it snows this early in the year, it usually goes away. So, so you write about you write about your walking um, on your uh, website. Why don't you give that website? Well, I, did. I, I haven't done a, I haven't done a, I haven't done the first. I told you. I think I told you. I haven't done. As you can see, I haven't done anything on that for I don't know six or seven years. But I, I was just doing that for my own entertainment a few sure. years ago. But I just busy with other stuff, and, and then I got sick a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. We've had some. Well, we've done some great hikes in in Switzerland, Austria, England, Scotland. You know, oh yeah, we got we hiked, hiked the southwest coast of England. Oh, that's hiked in, hiked in Wales a couple of different times. Uh, hiked the West Highland Way in Scotland. Less... Hiked all the way across. Hiked all the way across Switzerland. I think I told you this. Uh, from from a place called Sargans in the Swiss border in the east, all the way out to Montreux, twenty days. Oh wow, well that's very I, cool. I need ninety thousand feet of climbing. <laughs> well, I I uh, I also wanted to um, thank you for helping me get in touch with Frank Beard. I'm going to talk to him next week. Um, did that, that phone number work? It did, and uh, Frank is is kind of funny. He's uh, there's a little job to do to earn his trust at the very beginning, and so. Oh yeah, yeah. He's always been like that. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, I want to I want to thank you for your time today, um, and I want to stay in touch with you. Please do, Larry. Did Frank say anything about his health? No, he didn't. I've noticed when I look on the on the, uh, his, I notice that his handicap has gone way way up the last six or eight months, and I, I was just thinking he must not be feeling very good. Yeah, I remember you saying that. I'll yes, I'll find well, out I, next week. I I, I I saw him a couple of years ago when we played, and you know he still played pretty darn good, and uh, and uh, he's not, not even close to that now, according to 
according to the USGA side. So I don't know what's going on. Yeah, well, if I find out next week, I'll I'll let you know. Yeah, yeah. Did he ask you where you got the number? No, he didn't. He's, but he's he's just not very trustful of uh, media figures, and, uh, and he said, uh, and I put you in that class. <laughs> he, and he. And, he didn't want to uh, go on camera for our Tony Lima documentary, so he just wanted to do a podcast. So I'm uh, I'm hoping that maybe after doing the podcast that he might reconsider. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he, he's I mean, he, he's a he's a very very intelligent guy and has got a lot of great stuff, but uh, he's reserved. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I know him. I know him well for years and. And I hadn't seen him for umpteen years, and the day we played, he was, after not seeing him for, I don't know, 30, 40 years, he was, he was, and like I said, we were good friends. He was, uh, you know, standoffish, I guess. Yeah. Boy, Carl, Carl turned me on to his book, Pro, I must have read that a thousand times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, Chuck, thank you very much for your your time, and, and again, let's stay in touch. Okay, take care. Okay, thank you, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.